So let's recap real quick just verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You remember, this is the start of general stipulations. Uh, or I'm sorry, specific stipulations. We dealt with in chapters 5 through 11, general stipulations, and now a lot of those concepts are going to be expounded upon in detail. And notice where it starts, chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which Yahweh your Elohim of your the Elohim of your fathers has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places and everybody mark places. You want to mark places because it's going to become a, an extremely important point throughout this entire uh, chapter. Especially when we get into verse 5. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. Now remember, high mountains and hills because they they all understood this idea that God is up, that God is over them and so they would build an altar or something to try to get close to God would be the idea. <clears throat> but then the reason why they would go under every green tree is because you always have a distortion or, or depravity, uh, deprivation of, of sexual orientation that is connected with idol worship. Almost every time you do. In fact, it's hard-pressed to find anything that would be considered cultish. Uh, um, I don't know. Third world religions and spiritism and things like that that somehow doesn't include the degrading of the body in a sexual way with that. Uh, what comes to mind is David Koresh in the compound that was just outside of Waco. Uh, one thing that you found out was that he had pretty much asserted rule that he could sleep with any woman that he wanted to in the entire camp. Well, that's, that's a clear violation of biblical principles, even though he was stating that the Bible was the reason why he was saying everything. I think later on he even claimed to be Jesus, uh, which you know that Jesus wasn't about that. So anyway, problems abound. Uh, so uh, verse 3, you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. And if you remember, that was a depiction of a pagan goddess. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods. What's another idea behind gods? Idols, Idols but also demons. Demons is a big thing. Remember, people didn't just come up with these ideas of what these things look like. Demons actually would manifest themselves. Now, I know what we say today. We say, well, how come, how come that stuff doesn't happen today? It does happen today. It just doesn't happen in America. In America, we are already way easily distracted by TV commercials and politics that we don't have to have the supernatural things pop out to us in order to get us off guard. You talk to somebody in a third world country and this whole idea of spirits appearing, spiritism, false gods, demons, that kind of thing, it is not unusual for them. And it is not unusual for me to probably have about five to six conversations a year with people who have seen odd things. Little kids can usually are usually more prone to see stuff like that. Little kids are usually more prone to be able to see things like that. When they say, Mommy, there's a monster in my room, they're probably not kidding. We often think it's an overactive imagination. I don't know when we became the authority on that. But chances are it's really true. And what needs to happen is we need to be praying through those situations. I've counseled with plenty of people who have said, yeah, I was asleep in the middle of the night. I was suddenly woken up and there was a dark figure across my room staring at me. Mm-hmm. That is not unusual. It is not unusual for people to do that. I had a girl tell me the other night 
said, I've, I've woken up sometimes and there's the presence of evil in my room. I can just tell. I can just feel it. It's anything different. I get that. I'll never forget this. I went up one time to uh, go with Beth to school. She went to the University of Southern Indiana, which is on the west side of Evansville, Indiana, and, and she went to school there. And I, so I, I rode out with her one day, and as soon as I opened the car and I got out and put my feet down on the ground, immediately I could sense the presence of evil all over that campus. I told my wife, I said, I don't want anything to do with this place. This is not good. Shouldn't be surprising. Uh, I had the same feeling when I went to IU in Bloomington, Indiana. IU has the second largest um, out-and-out homosexual population per capita in the United States. Doesn't surprise me at all. And yes, I totally believe that there is some sort of connection uh, that links together the ideas of homosexuality and that type of perversion, especially pornography and demonic activity. I don't think there's any, any question behind any of that stuff. Uh, it's 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 all wrapped up in, in in Satan being behind all of it. So we, should, we let's let's not be so foolish as to think that he's not there and he's not working in some way. Uh, but notice what it says: tear down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. Okay. So this is what Yahweh is commanding to the second generation because they're getting ready to walk into a place, a land that they do not inhabit, but they are to take it over and they are to obey God. God will be the warrior God that fights through them and for them and delivers victory into their hands, but they must obey what he says. Let this be just a general principle all throughout the Bible. If you want to be blessed of God, do what he says. Don't argue with him. Don't reason that it needs to be this way and not that way. Just listen to his word and do it. It's, it's really simple. So what we're going to look at is we're going to go back to the situation we dealt with last week. Was everybody here last week? We do that? Okay, so let me give you a brief synopsis. Everybody turn to 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22 gives us the insight of when somebody actually took this to heart and did what God told them to do. And this was a boy king known as Josiah. He was eight years old when he became king. And it was about uh, 18 years, I think it was, of his rulership. And what happened was, is that Josiah wanted to divide up the money in order to pay people who attended to upgrading uh, God's temple, going back and doing some refining work on it and, and, and getting it up to snuff, essentially. Uh, we may say it'd be something as simple as dusting or, or, or something like that, but really pouring in their craftsmanship to God's temple. And so he wanted to pay them out of the temple treasury. <clears throat> And while the person was going through and accounting for everything in the temple treasury, they came across the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, which had been lost to Israel for years. Now, I meant to research this past week about how long that had been lost and maybe when people think that it was lost, uh, and I completely forgot to do that. So forgive me. I will try to remember that for next week. But in doing that, they find this book, they read it, and immediately they need to take it to Josiah and they read it in his hearing. And so if you will look, uh, let's see here. 2 Kings 22. Uh, 10. Yeah, they read it in the presence of the king. Verse 11. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. <clears throat> That's what I want you to get. 
That is a that is that is whenever they would uh, visually display a sign of anguish because of a situation that they've just learned of. Uh, that's really important for us to get. They would tear their clothes at that time. Whenever they conclude that um, Jesus has claimed himself to be God, if you remember Caiaphas, the high priest, tears his clothes in the presence of the Pharisees to, to demonstrate his disgust for what Jesus has said. Notice this was a practice that happened in 2 Kings, and this is a practice that happened in the Gospels in Jesus' time. It was the idea, I mean, how, how were, have, have any of you ever gotten bad news and tore your clothes because of how bad it was? Yeah, right? Because we don't have to go out and buy new clothes. But you get the idea, right? It's pretty serious anguish to make you sit there and rip your shirt. So, notice that, that when hearing this, he immediately understands Israel, that he reigns over his king, is way far off base than the ideal that the Lord demands for Israel. And so what we saw was they went through uh, and, and uh, was sent actually to a prophetess to inquire of her about how the Lord feels about this situation and Josiah's uh, sudden burning passion that he has to see the principles of the law invoked. And I want you to look at verse 17. It says, Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands, therefore my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. In other words, because they did not personally respond in fear and reverence to Yahweh's revelation of himself and turn to gods that would serve their own needs, this is not something that's going to go away. I think that's what's interesting. Notice that Yahweh is saying that he is going to bring it to completion. But look what happens. Verse 18. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of Yahweh, thus shall you say to him, thus says Yahweh Elohim of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. Remember, there are four things here. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before Yahweh when you heard what I spoke against this place, and against its inhabitants, that you should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes, number three, and number four, and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Now here's what's interesting. Destruction is imminent. Okay? But all it took was for one person to take God's word seriously, for God to withhold it for the time that he would live and not allow it to come upon him. He's actually going to die in peace. Why? Because when he heard God's word, he responded appropriately in fear and obedience to it. Now, this is an awesome situation. And I guarantee you this, God does not operate any differently now. If we are responding to his word, if we have tender hearts to his word, if we grieve over the things that grieve God, if we are mourning over the things that mourn him and we're rejoicing in the things that are righteous and true about our surroundings, God is pleased. I think that's important for us to understand. His greatest desire is for us to think the same thoughts that he thinks because there's no one greater than him. And that's why he gives us his word to do that. So I think this is an important, if you just were to take the response that was given in verse 19 is just a devotional matter to think about. Humbling ourselves and responding to his word. That's what gets Yahweh's attention. You can actually get God's attention by responding to his word with a humble heart. That's that's, that's really cool. I like it. Anybody else like it? I like it. Good. Now, here's what's great. Now we're going to put feet on words. 
I, I, I can't stand it when people are a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk going on. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. I guarantee you, if you feel passionately about something that needs to be done, it might be because God's calling you to do it. But I always want to point to other people that need to take care of business. I love chapter 23. Then the king sent and gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. Notice, he starts with leadership. He's going to get leadership on board. And leadership has the responsibility to trickle down communication. Uh, rest assured, the greatest problem of any organization, I don't care if it's a nation, I don't care if it's here at church, we've, 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 we've had our hides chapped often with this problem, <laughs> to use a phrase from, from earlier. Communication, communication, communication. Every problem is always in the center of it a communication problem. Okay, and Mary, I expect an amen from you as well, because you know it's true. It's all, why do you think Mary's getting out of here? She's like, I can't communicate with these people anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. So it's always a communication problem. So what do you do? You start with leadership and you communicate to leadership. All the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem are gathered. Verse 2, the king went up to the house of Yahweh. And all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with them and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of Yahweh. Notice everyone hears and everyone hears the king say it because if the king is in charge, the king is responsible for leading the nation in the direction he wants them to go, he does it by reading the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, you guys think I preach long, okay? But try it sometime. Start someday at 7 o'clock in the morning and start with Genesis 1-1 and make it all the way to the end of Deuteronomy and time yourself of how long it would take to audibly speak that to everyone. That's what he did here, okay? It's very interesting. What was his location? Anybody notice it? Where did he go? To deliver this. To the house of the Lord. To the house of the Lord. Do you think that was trying to send a statement? Yes. And, and why is this reason? The reason is, is because Israel, or sorry, the lower half, Israel has already been taken away when it was divided into two kingdoms. Judah and the lower half have been on a downward spiral. They were, they were in the midst of depravity and idol worship and all this crazy stuff that had invited the wrath of God and they were soon no longer going to be in the land. The land was going to vomit them out. Somebody was going to come in and take them captive because of their prevalent disobedience to God generation after generation. And so notice, King Josiah is going to make an emphatic statement about this point. If you need to get anything out of this, Israel or Judah, you need to get this. Boom. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Imagine that you're there listening to this. And here's the thing. Everybody who's listening to this, with the exception of the people who found the book and read it to the king, they haven't heard this ever. Never in their lifetime. They did not have the privilege of the first five books of the Old Testament because they had been lost for so long. And so now this public hearing, this public reading is actually taking place. It was an awesome spectacle. So notice he's going to read. Verse 3, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before Yahweh. Now stop. What is a covenant? Let's think of our Deuteronomy language. It's not just a promise. We've got a specific word for it. Jamie, you should know this. 
What does Clough say it is? I missed the question, sorry. What is a covenant? Another name for a covenant. Contract. It's a contract. It is an agreement that is taking place between the parties involved. And the reason why we need to understand that, just real quick as an aside, the reason why we need to understand that is because whenever God makes this covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, it's real important to see that Abraham doesn't have any expectations to live up to. It's all based on Yahweh and his faithfulness to his word that he's put forward. That's why we call that an unconditional covenant or an unconditional contract. It's one-sided and the other party involved receives all the benefit based on the other side upholding what they say. And that's why when we look at the Mosaic Covenant, the one that is given that we're familiar with here in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and everything that's being unfolded, that is an if-then covenant. That's a conditional. If you will keep up your end, then Yahweh will keep up his end. Both parties have made an agreement in that contract. So when you see the word covenant, think the idea of contract. There's an agreement that is going on of terms specified that must be lived up to by the parties involved, okay? It's very important. Does anybody have a question about that? Because that's a really important concept when you're going through the Bible. We're good? Okay. So now notice, verse 3, the king stood by the pillar and he made a covenant before Yahweh. Now watch what he, what he says. To walk after Yahweh. What in the world does that mean? God, where are you going? I want to follow you. Show me your footsteps. Is that what it's saying? What does it mean to walk after Yahweh? Examples. Following his example would be excellent. How does, how does God think about this? Well, I need to be thinking the same way. What else? Living up to the statutes and ordinances. Okay, so making sure that you're living up to the statutes and ordinances are given. Yes, ma'am. Well, what he tells us and what he says. That's the best explanation. What has he told you? And what has he said? That's what we're going to do. Here's what you find with that type of commitment. Is you find that all of a sudden, answering problems becomes way easier. Because it's no longer, well, what strategy can I come up with? Or what loophole can I find? Or I really need to sit down and think about this a lot. A lot of our decisions can actually be handled in prayer because the answers have been largely given to us. It's just the courage to enact them. That's what you find. Notice that Josiah, as king, is saying he's making a statement. He's drawing a line in the stand. In, in, the, in the stands, could be. A line in the sand. Israel is going to live, or sorry, Judah is going to live like this. Here's what we're going to do, and we're all going to do it. And we are going to make a promise, a contract with Yahweh, that we are going to follow him, period. No discussion. This is what we're doing. So now look at the second part of what he does is, uh, does here. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. And remember, another word for soul often used in the Bible is life, with all of his life. Number three, to carry out the words of this contract that were written in this book. And all the people, all the people, everybody see that? All the people entered into the covenant. In other words, leadership is taking a decisive stance to lead the people in a path of holiness. This is what we're going to do. Yahweh, we are committing to you today. That we will follow your ordinances, your statutes, keep your commandments, and everything that you prescribe to Moses to have a holy society. We're committing ourselves to that today. Now pause for a second. Can anybody remember why God calling Israel to live in a holy way was so important? 
Because it was so completely different from every other culture and lifestyle around them. Exactly. Because God's way of doing things ran in complete opposition against the grain of the way that everybody else was living. Everybody else was doing what was right in their own eyes kind of thing. God tells them, you don't act like that. I've got something completely different. Yes, ma'am. He wanted to set them apart, you know, as a beacon for the world for everyone to see. Exactly. As an example. And so he gave them those laws and he gave them... Exactly. Exactly. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, doesn't he say, the nations will come to you and they'll say, what other nation is as righteous as this one? That's the point. What other, what other nation has a God that actually enters into agreement with them. There's a guy named Meredith Klein, and he wrote a commentary on Deuteronomy that's way too expensive to buy. Uh, but anyway, he's done. he did a ton of research on it, and he wouldn't agree with us about the overall scope of the Bible, but he does bring up an incredible point. He says, if you study all of the old world religions, and you see what was going on at that day, you look at the Code of Hammurabi or whatever it is, uh, all the ancient philosophies that originally became the seedbed for Greek gods and stuff that would come up later, Never, at any time, do you ever find any of those gods coming into any kind of agreement or contractual obligation with the people that worship them. You never find that. And that's what sets the God of the Bible apart. Yes, ma'am? If you look at the, the people think it's kind of strange that they have all the health ordinances and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at during a lot of the times of the plagues in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. The Jews were the only ones that weren't no, no, weren't affected by those plagues because they quarantined themselves away from that because they knew yes. that they had to keep that they had to stay away from all of that in order yes. to, stay, to stay healthy. There was no health ordinances. There was no washing your hands after you go to the bathroom, anything like that, mm-hmm. because the rest of the world didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So that's something as basic as that. Yes, actually helped them to uh, to not be wiped out by plagues. Yes, and those were things that unfolded in the law of God, which every Jew would have had an understanding of at that time. And not only that, that particular point that they followed those things and it kept them from a lot of those harms created a ton of anti-Semitism in Europe. Why not? Why aren't they dying? Yeah. My kids are dying. Why aren't they dying? They're not dying because they're listening to God's word and applying it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting to see. Remember, the law isn't just if you, and in fact, the law is never this. The law is not do these things and then God will accept you into heaven. It's never been the idea. God is saying, if you want to know what it looks like for him to reign supreme over a nation, these will be the principles that you live by. And what you find is it actually generates something drastically different from everything else the world's doing. Mike, what you got? Well, the priests and the prophets were included with all the people there. Yeah. These books are lost. What were the priests and the prophets preaching? You know what? That's a good point. It could have been the fact of tradition coming down. But I think what it was is that is that false gods had so taken over that they had drifted in that. Uh, especially if you read, um, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 6. I can't remember, but I want to say it's Ezekiel 6. Uh, that you actually had instances where people might come and they would go through kind of the okay, this is what we do here, and then we do this, and we sacrifice this, and oh, God, forgive me, kind of thing. And it's almost like their, their uh, ancient ancient Middle Eastern Catholicism religion ritual thing that they would go through. And then after that, and they were done, they would actually go into their houses and hide themselves in a room there, and they would bow down to all these false gods and worship them. So they were completely split people about, this was just kind of uh, 
rote memorization rules and a checklist I have to live off of, but really the real power is going to come from this false God that I've erected back in my back bedroom somewhere kind of thing. And, 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 and God actually takes Ezekiel around the city and says, can you believe the people are worshiping me like this? And he actually gives them the ability to see through walls in order to find out what these people are doing. But, but I think that's what it was, was it, it, became, it became this fossilized system of religion and everybody's hearts were really drawn uh, to this much more, um, I mean, it's just nothing short of, of, you know, false deism is what it was, I guess it would be. So, yeah, I mean, but, but that's the whole reason why Josiah tore his clothes. I mean, that's what makes that significant. If you see Israel's history unfolding, judgment is going to come. We're not going to be in the land much longer. And he chooses to hear God's word and respond to what it says and sorrow over it and then brings the whole nation and makes a commitment. Guys, we are no longer doing that. We are now doing this. That took a lot of guts. you know. But as the king, he was the man to do it. And he was personally responsible to respond to the revelation of God that was given to him. So now he's, he's, he's enacting reforms across the board, which I guarantee you probably one of the first things he had done was all the priests. You need to read this and get more familiar with this because obviously you don't know what's going on. I mean... This, this was a major undertaking for everyone. Um, I, I know that, uh, let me say it this, like this, I know that things have changed some since I've been here. But, but imagine if I would have came in and just one day stood up and said, all right, guys, we're no longer doing anything the way we used to. We're now doing it like this. What happens in situations like that? People leave. People leave. <laughs> That's what happens. Or, or you leave. Or I leave. <laughs> or they get rid of me. You see what I'm saying? Or, or you have to wonder if, if we're doing what you want to do versus the Bible. Yeah. Exactly. You see, there's a lot of things that bring a lot of skepticism about that type of maneuver. But notice what, what, what this is, is this is a heart-provoked. Guys, we're way off base of where God wants us. This isn't right. We've got to correct this. So... I think that's what's so moving about this. And what's amazing is, is that with, with Josiah taking these strides, the Lord is going to bless it. He's already promised that he would. So I think, and, and that's what we're going to see here as this unfolds, is how how this um, displays itself. So yeah, what they were doing up until that time was probably everything they shouldn't have been doing. And that's why Josiah is bringing the reform. Yes, ma'am. Well, also, it says that they hadn't had the books for however long. Yeah. So it probably was basically the pomp and circumstance that they had been passed down, but let's blend it with the stuff that they're doing here because they weren't standing out and they right. weren't set apart. Right. It's kind of like what's happening in some churches now. Yes. I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to use this to help me think of the time period between... You know, if we find ourselves in... Okay, if we find ourselves in Second Kings here... And we find ourselves in the times of Ezra and, Ezra and Nehemiah here. Um, these are the reforms that later took place from the exiles and captivity. So this was this was huge here. Uh, after the time of Solomon and then whenever they split is when a lot of this started to get covered up. And the reason that we're going to see later is for what's commonly known as the sin of Jeroboam. Has anybody ever heard of the sin of Jeroboam? Man, it's incredible how frequently it's mentioned throughout after the time of Solomon to the end of the of the northern kingdom of Israel. And what it is 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 essentially uh, Jeroboam did not want people. Okay, the kingdom splits into two, and Jeroboam's up there and he says, "Wait a second, we're commanded to worship at the temple, and the temple's in the south at Jerusalem." 
And so all these people who have left there and have come on my side and are following me now, when it comes time for them to worship, they're all going to travel back to Judah. They're all going to worship at the temple. They're all going to get soft hearts. They're all going to be hanging out with their friends. And next thing you know, I'm not going to have a kingdom to rule over anymore because they're going to abandon me and go back together and my rule is going to be in trouble. I can't have this. And so he actually crafts two, hold hold, hold on, wait for it, golden calves and puts them in two different places and he says no longer are you to go down to Jerusalem to worship you're now to go here and to go here to worship this is the God that delivered you from Egypt worship here and that is the sin of Jeroboam and what it's called is a violation of the theology of sacred spaces we're not there yet you don't have to worry about messing and writing all that down we're going to get to that when we get to verse 5 of where we're at in Deuteronomy but the idea of when Yahweh says you are to worship me here that's where he means here and that's what makes this concept of the priesthood of the believer so interesting is that we no longer have to go to a sanctuary he has now set up every believer to be a sanctuary because we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit That means you can worship if you're digging a ditch. You can worship if you're canning uh, goods. You can worship no matter what you're doing. Why is that? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's presence is always with you in that intimate capacity. So that's a whole thing we're going to get into later. But that's, that's the reason why that type of thing is so important is because Jeroboam set off the fuse to lead that idolatry of the northern half, and they didn't last long. When they split up by 722, the Assyrians came in and took them all away. They were done. At least the lower half lasted until 586 BC. but So that's about 150 years difference. Uh, the, the lower half was much more faithful. If for no other reason, they had the spot where Yahweh said, worship me here, and that's what they continued to do. So, And on the flip side, there's a, actually a lot of pagan societies nowadays. And I think it was over in Japan. Uh, and so in the Buddhist culture, they have traditions mm-hmm. that harken back to Abraham. Uh, sacrificing Isaac mm-hmm. and they don't know why they do it but it's just it's just a thing that they do Yeah, and that could be an aspect of you know, these are things that we do we don't know why we do them but yeah. yeah in fact there's a there's a book written by a guy along the same lines by a guy named Don Richardson I can't remember what the name of the book is but he has done a ton of research on ancient civilization cultures that have lasted under this day and have asked the question what is their oral tradition about the beginning of everything mm-hmm. and they all have a creation narrative that matches the Bible mm-hmm. and they all have a flood narrative that matches the Bible and what you find is, is maybe all the details are not lined out but when missionaries find this out it's way easier for them to start in Genesis and start filling in the pictures and lead up into who Christ is it's amazing I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's a good book. Anyway, back to this real quick. So notice, everybody enters into a covenant. Verse 4. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord of Yahweh all the vessels that were made for Baal, Baal, however you want to say his name. The first thing we got to do is cleanse the temple. You've allowed for false idols to be erected in the temple and people are worshiping demonic gods in in Yahweh's place. Get them out. So notice, they're coming out first. 
Uh, for Asherah, it's the same thing we saw as the Asherim is the idea. Notice if you've got a marginal note in your New American Standard Version, a wooden symbol of a female deity, de- deity and so on throughout whenever this is brought up. And for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Does anybody have their notes sheet for Deuteronomy? Does everybody have their notes sheet for, for Deuteronomy chapter 12? I didn't bring it with me. It's sitting in my office right now. Uh, it is that one. Let me see it real quick. And on the back, you will have the Ten Commandments that are mentioned. Okay, Or you have four of the Ten Commandments that are mentioned. Is it four? No, it's just the first two of them. See, no, yeah, two, three, I don't know. Verses 6 through 10. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the house of Israel, uh, out of the house of slavery, uh, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is this is Josiah looking at God's word and saying, uh-oh. And notice what's removed out of this. Notice what's removed. Number one, idols to Baal. Number two, Asherah. Are those wooden symbols of female deity? Number three, for all the host of heaven. People had carved objects out of wood and stone that looked like angels. What are demons? Fallen Fallen angels. See how it all connects together? It's all this spiritist worship, and they filled God's temple with it. Now, here's the amazing thing. Where did Josiah read the first five books from? The house of God, the temple. So notice, as soon as he's got done, he called everybody to make a covenant with God. All the people entered in the covenant. And imagine, he turned around and they started cleaning house immediately. They had a junk sale. They took everything to Habitat and got rid of it. You know, however you want to say that. But they started cleaning it out. They They didn't give it away. Well, they didn't give it away, no. But you see what I'm saying is, get it out. We can't have any of it. If there's anything that is impure in God's house, we're going to cleanse God's house first. That's where we start. Now watch what it says after that. He burned them outside Jerusalem. Outside of the camp is the idea. Something taking place outside of the camp was often a symbol of shame. Because it was removing and it was purifying the camp inside. And so therefore things that were outside of the camp were done away with. That's why Jesus was crucified on Golgotha outside of the camp. It says here, uh, in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now, here's what's interesting about Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And Bethel is the place where Jacob had the revelation of God appearing to him. uh, And he actually ended up, when he came back, made a covenant with God there. Bethel is located in the northern region. Okay? Bethel is not located in the south where Judah is. Which means that Israel that was up front in the northern kingdom, who was taken away by Assyria in 722 B.C., they actually burned all the ashes, and then they carried the ashes into the northern region. See, this is why I need some maps, man. Everybody look in the back of your Bible. See if you've got some maps back there. We believe in Genesis to maps, right? The the northern kingdom had been taken away by then. They'd already been taken away, yeah. They were gone. Yeah, because this... Yeah, they're still taking it there. And let's see if we can find Bethel there. Not Bethlehem, Bethel. Mm. It's right at the right actually between Judah and Israel, right at the bottom. Okay, it is. It is. So they take it up there. Now here's what's interesting about Bethel. Bethel, for the northern kingdom, when the sin of Jeroboam took place and he made these calves, 
Bethel is one of the places that he put one of the calves to worship. I think the other one was in Dan, which if you follow the Jordan River up to the Sea of Galilee and then go north of the Sea of Galilee, you'll find that Dan is mentioned there. So notice he covers the northern part and the southern part of the region of Israel that was there. Now, why did he do that? To keep them from moving into Judah. Don't you think it's almost a smack in God's face, not to just erect a golden calf, but to put it right on the border when you could have just as easily walked probably 20 miles south and been where you were supposed to be to worship? Does everybody see how messed up that is? Okay, so notice, that's where they carry it. They carry the ashes of all of these idols that they've burned to a place that was previously used for what became pagan or, or, or uh, what do we say, false god worship at that time. So it's almost like a, 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 I just think it's interesting that they took it to one of these places that was set up for a false place in order to worship. So back to this. I know we're running out of time quickly. I thought we were going to get through all this today. Verse 5, verse 23. uh, We only got four minutes left. He did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the city of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the constellations, and to all the hosts excuse me, of heaven. In other words, the previous regime, gone. We're no longer going to have all this idolatrous worship and all this idolatrous ridiculousness that's going on. No more burning incense to these false gods. Uh, it's interesting because these reforms were going across anything that was pagan in, in, in the back. It's got to go. They're, they're really cleaning house through this whole idea. So when God talks about when you go into Canaan, you are to tear down all the objects of their worship. I'm sure it was a passage like that that sparked Josiah's heart to move forward. And they got rid of, and notice it says they did away with the idolatrous priests. Let me ask you a question. How do you think they did away with the idolatrous priests? <laughs> They probably stoned them to death. Something of that nature. Here's an important fact to think about in the law of God. And let's just finish with this and we'll pick up here next week. I'm sorry it's taking so long to get through this. But I want us to see what it looks like when somebody takes God's word seriously, cleans house, and it invites God's blessing. There is never a mention ever in all of God's law about having a prison system. Not once. Israel never had prisons. They never entertained the idea of sending someone to jail for a time. If they committed the sin, God's law was clear. You dealt with it. If it was something where they had uh, you know, offended somebody or if it was something of accidental death, they had cities of refuge to send to because the person wasn't really at fault for what had taken place. They actually say if you're out chopping wood and you go to throw your axe back and the axe head comes off and hits your neighbor and kills them, you, know, you didn't purposely mean to do that. If you did, you're a real good shot. Okay, but if that's the case, their family is going to want restitution for that. You're to flee to this city of refuge and still live your life. You're not at fault for that. It was an accident that happened. God's law provides for that. But when you find a lot of things that people do on purpose in sinning against God, you're to stone them. It's a done deal. We don't wait for years and years and years for a trial. We don't wait for the jury to debate about what should happen, what shouldn't happen. Uh, There are no judges at this time for this situation. It's just done. One and done. And so what they did is they took them and they killed them. That's how they dealt with them. You say, good grief, that's harsh. They're guilty. To God, it's not harsh. When you're guilty, God deals with it. But Red, there was also uh, not retribution. There was 
when you have to pay back for restitution. restitution. Yeah. Yeah, in some situations yeah. there's restitution Nowadays, to be made. It's, uh, it's, uh, that, that, that thing gets, gonna, whatever was stolen gets put away or is lost forever. Right. And you just, end, everybody pays a higher insurance premium. And a, and a good, a good, you know, we all know this story from Sunday school, but a good example of that is Zacchaeus in the New Testament. Not only does he repent about what he's done to the people of being an unjust tax collector who's a Jew, but he comes back to him all and says, I'm going to restore to you fourfold of what I took. Mm-hmm. He didn't just pull that number out of the air. That's actually commanded in the law. Mm-hmm. He understood that if he defrauded somebody and there needed to be, what is it? Not retribution? Restitution. Restitution. Yep. <laughs> Contribution. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but they needed to, to give that back in some way. Well, yeah. we're going to follow what God says about yeah. it. And there's no finders keepers either. There's If you find come across somebody's animal, you have to take care of it. Even yeah. if you don't know whose it is, you have to take care of it until somebody comes along and says, hey, I've lost my animal. Yeah, this is real different from, huh, it's mine. This is real different from, well, I guess, you know, I guess we're going to give you 12 life sentences. What has that ever done to somebody? Nothing. It's never done anything. Makes you wonder if God doesn't have a better way of handling sin than we do. So, yeah. Listen, we'll we'll, we'll finish here. We'll pick up next week. Uh, I won't do as much review at all. Uh, We'll probably jump right into 23, verse 4, and move forward to 27, then get back into our Deuteronomy stuff. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for our time together. We pray, God, you bless it to our understanding and help us to see, Lord, how important it is to have a humble heart before you and to respond to your word in obedience. You are good. You are kind. Your loving kindness endures forever. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfastness. And, God, you are for us. You are not against us. Thank you for your complete and awesome love. I pray it conquers any hardness or callous on our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. On audible.com, Genesis through Deuteronomy would be a little over 18 hours at one and a half speed. Wow. At one and a half speed. 18 hours. 18 hours. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe maybe we'll do that sometime. That'll be fun. He's not kidding.